This week on Blue 58, we've got Super Bowl, we've got Hall of Fame, we've got Packers front office, and we've got a free agent shopping spree. Plus, why we should all just sit back and let athletes be interesting. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of the Power Suite.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here for a jam-packed episode of the show. we got to get cooking to get through all the stuff that I have planned for you today. Boy, it is a full episode. Got a lot of stuff to talk about. I'm I'm charged up today. Got a lot of stuff going on. And it's good to just sit back and just uh, talk Packers for a little bit. So hopefully this is beneficial to each and every one of you listening. Let's dive right in. First thing I wanted to talk about today was that Super Bowl. Specifically, what it made me feel about the Packers. The one thing that came out of the, the Super Bowl for me as it pertains to the Packers is I really just want to see Aaron Rodgers with a play caller other than Mike McCarthy. You see some of these coaches that have ended up in the playoffs, doing well in the playoffs this year. Doug Peterson in the Super Bowl. Bill Belichick all the time. Sean Payton throughout this entire season and the playoffs. Andy Reid seemingly reinventing himself on offense every other season, finding a way to utilize the skill sets of his players. You just see things from these guys that you never see from Mike McCarthy. And I think Mike McCarthy's a very good coach, but... When it comes to things like play calling and getting his players in position to write or to to run plays that can take advantage of their skills, you just you don't see that from him. Danny Kelly at the ringer.com had a good summary kind of, of of how Philadelphia's play calling and play execution and play design really took the Patriots apart. I'll read it. It's a fairly lengthy quote here, but I think it's worthwhile. He says, quote, Philly's balanced, unrelenting, dominated, a discombobulated Patriots defense with a bevy of run-pass options, option run plays, and play-action fakes meant to stress defenses both vertically and horizontally, getting the team's athletes into space. The NFL, for the most part, has been slow to incorporate college-spread concepts into pro-style schemes. But the NFL is a copycat league at its heart, too, and 31 teams just watched the Eagles head coach Doug Peterson's scheme, which marries the West Coast offenses with college-style spread offense concepts, turn Foles into a Super Bowl MVP and help deliver Philadelphia its first Super Bowl championship, end quote. I think the, the last part there is really key. It turned Nick Foles into a Super Bowl MVP. Nick Foles is, is pretty fine for a quarterback. He's been good enough to stick around in the NFL for a long time. But the Eagles, after losing Carson Wentz, figured out ways that they could maximize the things that Nick Foles does well. I read a pretty good breakdown of what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown. And and the entire thing, this was on uh, the Monday morning quarterback um, written by Robert Klemko. The entire thing, I won't read a quote there, but the, the entire thing, the entire idea of that play was to make the read as simple as possible for Nick Foles. They tried to isolate Zach Ertz in a situation where Foles would just have to look at one guy and he would know whether Ertz was going to be open or not. And it worked. He got into the end zone and won the game. Think of the things that you could do if you tried to maximize the strengths of the people around Aaron Rodgers. If you ran plays designed to utilize the skills of Randall Cobb or Devontae Adams or Ty Montgomery or Aaron Jones. Think of the things that Aaron Rodgers could do with that kind of offense. What this all seems like to me is the the show Top Gear, or as it's currently known, um, 
grand tour in its kind of re reconfigured form. You've got three hosts on there who have been driving cars for a long, long time, and they're really good at driving it. You watch them do their segments. They can drive a, a high-end sports car better than just about anybody on the planet. Yeah, better than I could, better than, than most people who drive cars could, just because they've been doing it for a long time. But when they really want to see what this car can do, they turn it over to their tame racing car driver, as they call him in the older episodes, the stick. To me, Aaron Rodgers is that high-end sports car. Uh, he is, for my money, the best quarterback who has ever played. Uh, he is better at doing the things a quarterback needs to do than than anybody else. And he can do them in a unique way that, that to him that no other quarterback can duplicate. I don't, I don't want to talk about wins or playoff wins or, or Super Bowl championships or things like that. The things that Aaron Rodgers does well, he does better than anybody else has ever done them. But Mike McCarthy does not put him in a position to maximize those skills. He is He's a good coach, but for, uh, just by virtue of the fact that he's been doing this for a long time at the NFL level, at the at high-end levels throughout the NFL as, as a coordinator, as a quarterback's coach. So he seems like one of those guys who's just good because he's done it for a long time, not because he is an exceptional person at it, uh, an exceptional talent. He is no uh, professional race car driver driving a high-end sports car. I wish the Packers could have somebody like that managing Aaron Rodgers, and I don't know if we're ever going to see that. That's a little bit of a downer, but that's the thing that I thought about coming out of the Super Bowl. We also got to touch on the Hall of Fame because uh, Packers great Jerry Kramer has officially and finally joined the Hall of Fame. And my first reaction to, to Kramer being in is that it's great. It's great to have Jerry Kramer in. He absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. The second takeaway I have from that is that the Hall of Fame is stupid. And it's stupid because the voting for the Hall of Fame is stupid. Jerry Kramer retired 40, more than 40 years ago, almost 50 years ago. When in that time did he become a Hall of Famer? Was he a Hall of Famer right after he retired? Or did he just become a Hall of Famer in the past couple of years? I, just thinking about this voting process a lot, because not long ago we had the, the Baseball Hall of Fame voting. That has its own foibles. For instance, a writer will vote for a guy to make the Hall of Fame, but not his first year of eligibility because he doesn't want him to go into the the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Why? Either he's a Hall of Famer or he isn't. When when in, in that year between the first time he's on the ballot and the second time, did he become a Hall of Fame player? Can you just point it out for me? Football writers have similar foibles. They will go to great lengths to say that a guy should get in because his stats are so good. You're seeing this with with Frank Gore now. He's kind of reached a plateau where his stats are so unassailable that he'll probably end up in the Hall of Fame. But then they'll turn right around and say that a a guy's stats, well, they aren't good enough, or maybe stats don't really matter at all. You really have to look beyond that. Maybe a guy just piled up a bunch of meaningless numbers. You'll see that argument come up, I think, over the next couple of years with Isaac Bruce, a guy who's put up as as many receiving numbers for a receiver who played through the mid-90s into the 2000s as, as just about you could ask for. Tory Holt, same sort of situation, teammate of, of Isaac Bruce's. It's silly because we're, we're using circular arguments. We're, we're using things in different ways at different times. And it all just ends up being silly because all this happens behind closed doors, except for the, the, the baseball writers now who have started to tweet out their ballots. But it just comes across as really silly. So how do we fix it? Well, I don't think you 
can do a couple things anymore. I don't think that you can do the thing where you have these Hall of Fame presentations where you're trying to make the case for a guy who should be making the Hall of Fame. I think you've got a guy's a list of guys who are eligible for the Hall of Fame, and it's up to the voters to make up their minds themselves. That's the reason that they've got this ballot. Supposedly, they know enough about football to say whether a player is among the greatest players of all time or not. You should be making that decision yourself. You shouldn't need someone to explain it to you. You get out there and do the research. Secondly, you should vote for as many guys as you want on that ballot, but guys will have to meet a very high threshold. 85% of people have to agree that you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. 90%, 95%, whatever it is, it's got to be high. Because if we're not going to have these presentations, we have to be able to make it difficult to get into the Hall of Fame because it should be difficult to get into the Hall of Fame. If you're going to have something reserved for these people who are supposedly among the best players of all time, it should be difficult to get in. Finally, I think you should just be a normal candidate for the first five years after retire. Then for 25 years, you're off the ballot. You're done. You missed your your shot to get in as a, a quote-unquote normal candidate. But after those 25 years, you're back up as a senior candidate and the sh- threshold drops. But it should always be specified that you got in as a senior candidate, not during your five-year window. We need to start changing how we think about the Hall of Fame, especially when it, when it's things like eras or, or when people are getting in. So much of the reasoning is is just silly. These fixes will never be implemented. I know that. But it's just silly when you have guys getting in 40 years after the fact, especially a guy like Kramer. He was part of the NFL's first 50 years team or whatever they call it. They put together that, that team for the NFL's first 50 years. Up until now, he was the only person on that team that was not in the Hall of Fame. He clearly deserved to be there. But what changed? What changed now? Why, why is suddenly now the time when he gets in? I don't have an answer for that. And I don't think anybody is ever going to be able to explain that. And I think we've we've got to fix that. It's silly. We need to talk about John Dorsey for a second because uh, Bob McGinn is just not letting this go. Uh, BobMcGinnFootball.com is his subscription-based website. Gary and I have a subscription to that. I should say Gary has a subscription to that just so we can kind of keep an eye on what he's doing and respond to it as the need arises. And this is, I think, a situation where the need has come up. Um. I don't know if I could recommend you buying a subscription to BobMcGinnFootball.com. I would say on the whole, I'm not sure it's worth it. I'm glad that Gary is paying for it. Um, I'm not sure if that is something that we are going to continue doing um, going forward. But he is insightful from time to time, and you do get some behind-the-scenes sources that maybe you wouldn't otherwise get. But in this particular instance, we need to talk about McGinn's ongoing love affair with John Dorsey. About this time last year... Um, again, dropped a column, maybe a little bit later than this last year, uh, but he dropped a column saying that John Dorsey would be a great fit for the next general manager of the Packers. Well, since then, Dorsey's been fired by the Kansas City Chiefs and hired as the new general manager for the Cleveland Browns, close to the end of the season. In fact, Cleveland did it in such a way that it kind of prevented anybody else in the league from ever really getting a shot at him because you know, he was not employed, and uh, they made a GM change midseason and were able to pick up John Dorsey. Since then, John Dorsey has really put together a front office that is basically Green Bay East. He's got uh, Alonzo Highsmith and uh, Elliot Wolf, who I remain com- convinced is not going to be there very long, but uh, they've got them there. So um, three guys with Green Bay connections working in Green Bay 
or Green Bay East. I had that in my notes is Green Bay East. It's Cleveland. That's where they are. They're going to rebuild the Cleveland Browns, and they're probably going to do it pretty quickly because Cleveland's got a bunch of draft picks high up in the draft, and they've got $100 million in cap room to spend this offseason. That'd be a pretty desirable job, uh, I would think, and John Dorsey probably uh, well within his rights to to want that job. But in this column uh, that McGinn wrote, he contends that Dorsey was basically sitting around waiting for the Packers to call. Uh, in Door County, no less. Just just waiting there, uh, hoping the Packers would call, but they never called him. And McGinn says this is a grave mistake because uh, if Dorsey would have been hired, Highsmith would have stayed, Wolf would have stayed, uh, they probably could have retained Gutekunst and Ball, and everybody would have been happy in the Packers that had a loaded front office. A couple things about that. First, there's no way of knowing that's true. Um, it's a wonderful theory, but uh, there's there's no way of verifying that and trying to do it after the fact is virtually impossible unless you get a one-on-one interview with Alonzo Highsmith and you make him sit down and say, yes, absolutely, I would have stayed in Green Bay if Dorsey would have been hired. Clearly, these guys have upward ambitions and, and wanted to improve themselves. Why would those things have gone by the wayside if Dorsey had stayed um, or had Dorsey had come to Green Bay, not stayed in Green Bay? That, I think, is is a relatively fair contention. Um, second, Dorsey has been a very good general manager, but it's not like he's he's not without faults. Um, McGinn is, is convinced that Dorsey can almost literally walk across Green Bay at any time of the year, not just when it's frozen over. Uh, and maybe he can. But the, the weight of the evidence does not necessarily bear that out. Let's talk about what we know about John Dorsey. Uh, during his time in Kansas City, he put a lot, uh, together a lot of good but not great teams. Uh, he probably benefited from playing in the AFC West, which has, uh, let's say they've been inconsistent over the past few years. Um, he's put together defenses that have been pretty good, uh, but again, not, not great, good enough to get them deep into the playoffs uh, with any kind of regularity. Uh, he's put together an offense that regularly failed to get its receivers into the end zone, uh, partly because their receivers were no good. He gave up two second-round picks for Alex Smith, um, and Alex Smith was the best quarterback he could get his hands on. Finally, John Dorsey got fired pretty much by a guy that he hired himself. He's such a strong personnel executive that he couldn't even hang on to his own job and was usurped by a guy that he brought in to be his head coach. I mean, obviously I'm making a case and stacking the deck against Dorsey, but McGinn is doing the exact same thing for Dorsey. And the bottom line is that we just don't know that John Dorsey or Brian Gutekunst or anybody is absolutely a sure thing. We have to wait. And I realize that that's a really terrible way to do sports media, but it's the truth. And I know it doesn't make a good content to just come in here and crack up with the mic and say, <clears throat> well, you know what we're really going to have to do is sit down and wait here for two to three years and see if the this was really a good decision by the Packers or by the Cleveland Browns. Get back to you in three years. That's been Blue 58 for this week. Thanks for listening. No, obviously, you've got to have stuff to talk about. But we can pick things to talk about where we can actually talk about the thing in a substantive way. You don't have to just talk about shoulds or coulds or maybes or, or what. Don't do that. That's no way to live. You're going to drive yourself nuts. And maybe, you know, Bob McGinn is driving himself a little bit nuts. Maybe retirement isn't such a great thing for him after all. 
I don't know. Sometimes I get in my own head a little bit, and sometimes I think should be a, uh, things should be a certain way, and they're not. But what we do know is, is, is two things pretty clearly. John Dorsey didn't get a call by the Packers, and John Dorsey is currently the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. That's all we know for right now, and we're not going to know anything else for a while. That's our headlines. We're going to dive into free agency here in just a second. But I wanted to to make you aware of something um, that I think is going to be of use to you. Uh, you'll see this more on our social media profiles later, but you have a variety of ways that you can be listening to this podcast. I use the, the app Overcast. I think it's fantastic. But you don't have to be stuck with any one way of listening to the show. Uh, Apple Podcasts remains a great way to get it, but there are, are a bevy of other options. You have iHeartRadio now. You have Stitcher now. You have this app called CastBox, which we are now featured on. A lot of different options for listening to the show, and we want to make it for uh, make it easy for you to get Blue 58 and everything that we are producing here uh, at the Power Sweep, including some some new projects coming down the pike here in uh, in the near future. So, if you like those apps, don't feel like you're bound to just listening to this through your browser or the Apple Podcast app or whatever. There are those other options. And if there's something else that you use that you haven't been able to use to get Blue 58, uh, let us know. And we would love to, to try to bring you that as well. All right, let's dive into free agency. Brian Gutekunst says he wants to be more aggressive in free agency. He doesn't say that particularly, but he says he wants to explore every option for the Packers to better themselves, uh, improve their roster. And can free agency help the Packers? I think that's a question that is fair to ask and something we should ask right off the right off the top here. Absolutely yes, but it's going to depend on what kind of free agent the Packers sign if they sign decide to to sign any. So what kind of free agents are out there? What kinds of free agents are out there? A lot. A lot of different kinds. There are good free agents, there are bad free agents. There are free agents you're going to pay a lot for. There are free agents that nobody's going to seem to want until the very end, and suddenly they'll get signed, and maybe they'll have an impact down the road, and maybe they'll get cut in training camp. Who knows? I see free agency as having several tiers, and I'm going to put them in terms of shopping. I think you've got your big ticket items. I think you've got your store brand items. And then I think you've got the clearance rack. I think I'm mixing, you know, electronic shopping with grocery shopping and and clothing shopping. But I think you'll understand what I'm talking about here. So let's talk about these three tiers of free agency. And then let's talk about some potential free agent targets. A caveat to that coming up, but we'll talk about some potential free agents the Packers could be signing. Your big ticket items. Big ticket stuff to me seems like those brand new TVs that you see in Best Buy or another electronic store. These are for the early adopters. These are the for the people that are willing to shell out, you know, five thousand bucks for that brand new 4K Ultra HD TV. The best of the best, the newest, the best, the brightest. The thing that you're maybe not quite sure about. It might be really great, but you're probably going to have to overpay to get it and be first. That is the the bulk of the big headline free agent signings, I think, are going to be in the big ticket items, the guys that get the, the big contracts, the big guaranteed money. Then you've got your store brand free agency. These are guys that are probably just as good as the guys that fall into the big ticket item category. But you also have to know what you're looking for. You've got to look for a guy who's going to fit with your system. You've got to look for someone who's going to do exactly what you want them to do. And this is especially great for areas where the market is especially flooded with players. This year, I think that's going to be cornerbacks and that's going to be wide receivers. 
There's a lot of bodies at those positions every year. This year in particular, I think there's a lot of, of store brand corners and receivers that potentially could help the Packers. Finally, you've got your clearance rack buys. Clearance rack is for the dedicated shopper, the person at Kohl's who's willing to page through each and every shirt that's on the clearance rack and find the one that's in their size available for three bucks and then you've got 10 bucks of Kohl's cash. Suddenly they're paying you to take it out of the store. I love that feeling. Harder to come by now. Kohl's is not as much of a fertile shopping ground as it used to be. That's neither here nor there. And I'm sorry for the uh, out of the U.S. listeners that that reference is lost on you. Uh, Kohl's is a shopping store or a shopping department store um, based in Wisconsin. And it's it used to be real good for deals. Not so much anymore. You got to remember guys that are on the clearance rack are there for a reason. It's not always a good reason. Mind you, it might be that they just had a bad fit with their previous team, or maybe somebody thinks they're getting old and they're not really. Maybe they're coming off an injury that wasn't quite as severe as people thought. Maybe they just got cut because somebody didn't like them. Who knows? But more often than not, these guys are on the clearance rack for a reason. you got to determine that reason and figure out if if it's one that's going to be dangerous to your team. You might be getting what you pay for when you shop on the clearance rack, but the good news is you're not going to be paying a whole lot. Great way to fill out the wardrobe. Also a great way to fill out the probably the bottom third to, to 45% of your roster. These clearance rack buys uh, that know what they're doing, that have been in the NFL for a while, and, uh, and can make their way uh, around a football field in a way that's really going to help, help your team. So who are some of these guys that fit into this, these categories? I've got at least two offensive players and two defensive players in each of these categories. Keep in mind, though, It is, as we record this, February 6th. You are getting this uh, podcast on February 7th. A lot of these guys are going to end up back with the teams they played with in 2017. And that's fine, but we can still talk about them a little bit. So let's dive into the big ticket items. First and foremost, uh, Demarcus Lawrence played with the, the Dallas Cowboys this past season, had nine sacks in his first three NFL season. 14 and a half last year and made his first Pro Bowl, going to be 26 going into next season. He is going to be expensive. I know he's only had one good season, but so did Nick Perry. And Nick Perry signed a five-year, $59 million contract with $18 million guaranteed last year. Should the Packers be interested in uh, Demarcus Lawrence? Yes, obviously. They need more pass rush help. Uh, he, he seems like he could you know, do the job. But again, he's going to be expensive. Moving right along, guy who's also going to be expensive, but maybe not quite as expensive as he would have been before the Super Bowl, Malcolm Butler. You know Malcolm Butler. Uh, You obviously know about Malcolm Butler if you've been following the NFL at all. Made probably the single most famous play in the Super Bowl in the last, I don't know, how long it's been, 25 years? His interception against the Seattle Seahawks down near the end of that Super Bowl. One of the most incredible single plays uh, I can ever recall seeing in a Super Bowl. Since then, he's made one Pro Bowl, had arguably a better season in 2016 than he did in 2015, the year he made the Pro Bowl, tailed off a little bit in 2017 before he crashed and burned in the Super Bowl, uh, or, well, I guess not in the Super Bowl because he didn't play hardly in the Super Bowl, but the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. Do some Googling on that. I don't want to dive into there. Best comp for him, probably the top end of the cornerback market last year, A.J. Bouye, uh, signed a five-year, $67 million deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I would be surprised if Butler got quite that much given how he's played of late, but you know that's that's kind of the market for him. Switching over to the offense, and I realize we're not spending a lot of time on these guys, but again, uh, we don't know yet um, 
How many of these guys are even going to be free agents? Just want to give you some examples. Allen Robinson uh, from Jacksonville, one of three surprisingly good wide receivers they have in Jacksonville. Big, strong dude, six foot three, two twenty, coming off a torn ACL though, and that's interesting because uh, that may not be as much of an impediment to a top end contract as you might think. Top of the wide receiver market last year was Pierre Garçon. He had a five-year, $47 million contract with the 49ers last year, despite being 31 years old. So I think you've got some comps there. Finally, rounding out the big ticket offensive, uh, well, the big ticket category altogether, Jimmy Graham at tight end. You've heard of Jimmy Graham. He's the the prototypical former basketball player who now is a tight end. Big dude, still pretty good in the red zone, not so good everywhere else on the field. Last year, Martellus Bennett got three years and $21 million from the Packers. Obviously, that didn't work out. Uh, Jimmy Graham probably close to the same vein. Uh, Interestingly enough, the only other tight ends at 30 or above last year who signed deals of note were Jared Cook, who signed for two years and $10.6 million with the Oakland Raiders, and Lance Kendricks, who signed for two years and $4 million with the Green Bay Packers. All of the tight ends, age 30 or more, uh, who hit free agency last year and, and signed I guess, noteworthy deals were connected to the Packers. Store brand free agents. Ross Cockrell, a cornerback, played uh, for the New York Giants this past season. Biggish cornerback, six foot 191, ran a 4.5 at the Combine and a 4.4 at his pro day. Uh, got traded uh, to, the Cal- or to the Giants heading into last season. Uh, from PackersWire.com, here's their assessment of him. The Giants traded for Cockrell in early September and didn't regret it. He played almost 700 snaps in New York and allowed a passer rating of just 70.3 against his coverage. Not bad. Moving right along, another potential uh, kind of off-the-radar guy, maybe a little bit more... Um, unknown type of player. Uh, Bo Allen uh, played this last season with the Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles. Six foot three, 333, just turned 26. Not a big traditional stats guy, but Pro Football Focus ranked him number two among uh, at run stopping among their free agent defensive linemen and number six uh, in their pass rushing metrics among free agent linemen. Uh, also of note, he went to Wisconsin and his nickname is the Polar Bear. Uh, Two very desirable traits, if you ask me. Uh, Flipping over to offense, uh, this one is interesting. Albert Wilson, a wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs this past season. 5'9", ran a 4-4 at the Combine. Pretty good agility scores as well. Uh, One of my colleagues over at Acme Packing Company, Paul Noonan, is a big fan of Wilson. Uh, He ranks 23rd in Paul's custom wide receiver metric, which you should probably check out. Uh, And according to Paul, he's an almost exact match for Stefan Diggs as it goes uh, in their production on a per target and per catch basis. Might be worth considering a little bit on the small end, but, but worth considering about. Other end of the spectrum at wide receiver is Dante Moncrief, played for the Indianapolis Colts last year. Big, fast receiver, probably hurt a little bit by his, his quarterbacks, but Oh, maybe worth taking a look at, especially since he's 6'2 and ran a 4-4-40. Clearance rack free agents. This is complete speculation. I don't know if any of these guys is even worth a contract, but these are the sort of guys that have helped their teams in the past couple of years, maybe more than people realize, and could be you know that sort of bargain basement uh, opportunity. Junior Gallette. He has played for, well, he's played for two teams since he turned 26. And that is is worth pointing out because he's had two Achilles tendon injuries since then. His age 26 season was with the New Orleans Saints. This past year, 
his age 29 season was with the the Washington Redskins. He's been productive, was especially productive before he he tore up his his Achilles and was productive in limited reps last season. But, you know, Achilles injuries, he's going to be 30. Some big questions there. Bonus here, Tremont Williams or Prince Amukamara at cornerback. Some questions about both of them. Tremont Williams is 34. Uh, Amukamara's 28. They've both done pretty much everything you can do in the NFL. Both have concerns. Obviously, Williams with his age. Uh, Amukamara uh, has not been real productive in terms of interceptions, but both are, are relatively solid if you set the expectations right. Flipping over to offense, Terrell Pryor. Uh, bet on himself last offseason. Turned out to be a bad bet. Um, he's as athletic as they come for a receiver. Big guy, six foot four. Reportedly was interested in the Packers when he was making that switch to wide receiver, but the Packers did not come calling. Maybe worth a shot to see what he can do. The Packers don't have any receiver that's remotely like him. Yes, I know Jeff Janis is approximately as athletic, but Jeff Janis, maybe like Terrell Pryor, is probably not an actual NFL wide receiver, but could be worth a shot. Finally, rounding out the offensive side of the ball at tight end, Luke Wilson or Ed Dixon. Both decent enough in terms of athleticism and production, but both never really jumped past being a number two tight end. I know we went through all that stuff really fast, and we'll go into some of these guys more in depth as we head towards actual free agents, but I want to set some expectations toward this kind of guys that you're going to be seeing at these levels, uh, these tiers of free agency, and just offer a reminder that these guys at the top end are going to be so expensive, especially for things like edge rusher and cornerback. Yes, the Packers have needs there, but unless you're really, really, really convinced that these guys are good, are going to change the game for you, and that's what you have to get if you're going to pay $60 million for a cornerback, you, you got to be really sure at those levels. Well, I've got you here. We need to talk about penalizing athletes for being honest and being interesting. Couple noteworthy quotes leading up to and after the Super Bowl. Uh, Aaron Rodgers commenting to an AP reporter uh, that he would love to play into his 40s like Tom Brady has done, and he realizes that he might have to leave Green Bay to do it just because that's the nature of these businesses and players move around. You wouldn't think that's a terribly noteworthy comment because I think it's a truth that pretty much everybody understands. But that was picked up by the uh, slow news cycle of the time leading up to the Super Bowl, and suddenly Aaron Rodgers is talking about leaving Green Bay. You see the headlines all over the place. That's not what he said. He was just offering an honest assessment of where his career could be heading. The same sort of thing happened with Rob Gronkowski, I think on a smaller scale because of some of the other stuff surrounding the Super Bowl. And uh, uh, Rob Gronkowski, unfortunately, uh, with his house getting apparently robbed after the Super Bowl. But he said after the Super Bowl that he's, you know, weighing his options. Maybe he doesn't play next year. He doesn't know. And that's been out of control a little bit too. Um, For some reason, people didn't realize that he had just lost the Super Bowl like 15 minutes earlier. Ryan Rosillo said on his podcast, the shower was, or the water was barely dry from the shower that he took after the Super Bowl. And people want to make him make substantive comments about the future of his career. Can we give these guys a break? Can we just let people make some comments and give them a little bit of room to breathe before we decide to rip everything apart. That is not just in the interest of the athletes. That's in our best interest as well. Because if we let people talk without tearing apart every single thing that they say, parsing each individual word, trying to figure out what they mean. Well, what did he mean by this? Why did he use this word instead of this one? Why did he make the example of leaving Green Bay? I don't know what it is, but you need to stop doing that. 
because you're just going to drive yourself crazy for one thing. But also, the more you tear this stuff apart, the more athletes might decide that it's really not worth talking at all. Don't penalize guys for being interesting and honest. Let them speak their minds. Let it breathe a little bit. Don't overreact. Just let it happen. I think we'll all be better off for it. That's all I've got for you this week. You can always find us each and every day of the week at thepowersweep.com. Search for us as well on Facebook and on Twitter and reach out via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, the freest, easiest way to do it is to leave us a review on iTunes. No pressure to do so, but we would love to have your thoughts there. Give us a buck on uh, on patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Think of it as contributing 25 cents per episode uh, of Blue 58 that you listen to. A great way to support the, the podcast and the entire endeavor uh, financially. Or if you want to do something in, uh, financial and look good as you do it, you can always buy one of our t-shirts at Teespring. You can find a link to our store uh, on the store via the store link at thepowersweep.com. We do always love to hear from you. Reach out wherever you can. Any feedback you give us helps me become better at this, helps us make the, the entire operation, Blue 58 and the Power Sweep, better. And ultimately, it helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.